Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you here in the worship center, and uh, good to be with you just for a brief moment over in the fellowship hall. We come together for the preaching of the word this morning. It is so good to see you all. And before we move into our God is Here series week two, and you can go ahead and find Isaiah chapter seven. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Isaiah chapter seven on your digital device, uh, pew rack in, the, uh, in front of you here in this room. There's a Bible over in the fellowship hall. Uh, if you need a hard copy of the Word of God, just uh, raise your hand. Our folks will have one. But if you can find Isaiah, it's in the, in the Old Testament. Big, big book. And um, we'll let you find your way. And as you do that, I just wanted to bring you up to speed and follow up with you with the commitments that you made at the end of our Antioch series, which was two weeks ago. You remember we had the cards and everyone came forward. It was a wonderful, wonderful morning. And I just uh, briefly want to go through and, and say how good God has been to us through that series, but also present to you uh, just what people have committed to and then bring you up to speed with our REACH offering. Some exciting news there. So let me go through this uh, as efficiently as I can here. There were, of uh, those cards, there were 579 individuals who said uh, we want to make a commitment of some sort. That is a large group of folks, 600, almost 600 people. 514 committed to pray. Now, we asked people to pray for 40 days. Let me remind you of that. We are in the middle of that. The 40-day period will end December 31. Keep praying this simple prayer. Holy Spirit, change me, change our church, and change our community. That's simply what we're asking you to pray, for the Holy Spirit to work as it did there in Antioch. Commitment to a transformational church. We had 22 people respond. 20 were interested in becoming members. And two were interested in becoming followers of Christ. So we're following up with those individuals, and we would just invite you, if God is calling you to join, to come at the end of our services, even today, if, if God is asking you to do that. There were... 500 and se of the 579 individuals, 38 are interested in being a foster family, an adoption, uh, adoptive family, or to wrap around those who are called to foster or adopt. Now, that's the one where my eyebrows went up. 38 people who said, we want to come around those who want to foster and adopt. I thought that was absolutely beautiful. Commitment to produce disciples, 51 of you who committed said, we want to connect to a group. You're not currently either connected to a life group on Sunday morning, a larger group, or maybe you are and want to connect to a smaller group. And of that number, of the 78 who responded, 51 said, we want to connect. 19 said, we want to lead a group, which is outstanding. We need you. We need you to serve and we need you to lead. Commitment to generosity. Of the 579, 193 responded and said, we want to commit in some way to giving. 17 said, we want to begin giving faithfully for the very first time. Now, I don't know if that was first time to Taylor's. I don't know if that was first time ever in my life, but you haven't been giving to this body, and now you want to begin to give. And 176 noted a willingness to begin giving sacrificially through the end of the year, which is outstanding. So we put out a challenge, $65 per member would make up the deficit that we had at the time that we introduced uh, the commitment time. And so we just would encourage you to continue to give sacrificially and to give to the REACH 
offering as well. Let me, let me uh, before I, I mention the offering, 579 individuals, 153 responded and said, we want to go in some way. 147 said, we want to go on a trip. And five said that we were open to either packing up our suitcase or packing our house. One individual or one family said, we are ready to go. That is an incredible commitment on the part of Taylor's First Baptist Church in so many different ways. We were thrilled when we heard that. And, and so here's, here's the fun news is, is the reach offer. All that is wonderful news, and we've been just kind of processing that over the last couple of weeks. But here's, here's the really fun news is that um, the reach offering. You remember, we said we want to send every single individual who wants to go on a reach trip in the reach brochure. We want to give you a discount of 50% off so that you can go. Here's what we're hearing from people who are on the field. The reason that they go and give their lives or the reason that there's transformation on the mission field is they've been exposed to the mission field. So it's a value that we have. We want you to be exposed to the mission field. That's why we do it. Just not because we're kind-hearted souls and want to give you 50% off. We are. But at the same time, we just want you to go. All right? So I came to Jeremy. Jeremy, how much would it take uh, for us to send, to fill every trip in 2016 in the REACH brochure how, how, how much money is that going to be? He said $135,000. I said, whoa, all right, that's a lot of money. All right, let's just put it before our people. We did. We came to you. And um, $135,000 in addition to what you're regularly giving, it's a big, big, big task. We know. But here's what God did. As of December 6th, uh, you have given uh, over $78,000 to that REACH offering, which is a huge amount of money. So we're short of that $135,000 goal. But here's what happened. In the meantime, our missions office cleaning up the trips for 2015 and also making sure that we look at previous giving to missions in the past. And what we found is that there were dollars that were being stewarded. Does that make sense? Stewarded well. And dollars that that we have not used for the sake of sending people. And when you combine previous mission offerings, when you combine the 150th offering where 15% of what you gave goes right to missions, when you combine the 2015 trips and dollars that were uh, not utilized and were saved well, here's the amazing news that we have more than enough. We have crossed over the $135,000 with what you've given so that every single individual that wants to go on a mission trip in 2016, God has made it possible through you for you to go at 50% of the cost. So we are super excited about God sending our people. And that, that was a lot of fun to get, to get news on that day about that. So we are just encouraged by that. I wanted to share that with you so that you can rejoice. And please, please, some of you are going to be scattering for Christmas. And this could be your last Sunday. This Sunday and next Sunday, we know some of you will be saying, Merry Christmas, we're gone. Please, please be faithful. Let's end well. Let's end well. And to God be the glory for his provision for his mission. Very, very encouraged by him. 
Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, let me set up the sermon series that we're in right now. We started it two weeks ago, had an incredible time in our worship uh, here last week, and we've titled this series, God is Here, and we're basing it on the promise that God made to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 uh, that a son would come and this son would be named and called Emmanuel. On the screen, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, all this took place as Joseph is about to marry a woman who says, I am pregnant, but you're not the father, and there is no earthly father. He wants to divorce her. He's fearful. He's uncertain. He's trying to figure out what to do. He's thinking through, how do I go about making this change? How do I go about doing life now with this circumstance that has landed right in my lap? Here is what the angel says to him. Joseph, all this took place, what the Lord has spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this was a promise, of course, that we see fulfilled in Mary, and then we uh, see it fulfilled in, in Jesus there as God's son comes to earth at Christmas time. But that promise was originally given 700 years prior to Joseph. That, that sign, if you will, was given not originally to a no-name carpenter from the backwater town of Nazareth. But that original word was given 700 years earlier to the most powerful man in the small nation of Judah, the king who sat on the throne in Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it's right in front of you there. That promise given to, to Joseph, that sign given to Joseph and Mary was really a sign given to the king. King, there will be a son who will be born, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And when this son is born, Next week we'll look at it. When the son is born, it will signify to you, king, that I will deliver you from the trouble that you're in. And what was the trouble that the king was in? We started looking at it a couple of weeks ago. Here, here's where this king was. King Ahaz, as I said, was king of Judah. Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, the people of God, they had split a long, long time ago. Two separate nations that are now fighting with one another. And when Isaiah comes to the king in Isaiah chapter 7, here is what he finds, that the king of Judah was resisting an alliance from Israel and Syria, these two nations to the north. They had partnered together. And the reason that Israel and Syria to the north had partnered together is because this huge nation called Assyria, this violent, wicked, terrorist-like people, capital of Nineveh. Remember Jonah and the whale? This is the capital, Nineveh, of Assyria. And they're, they're beginning to take over land and take over people and take over nations and people groups. And here they come. So Israel and Syria are in a partnership against Assyria. And they come to the king, the small nation of Judah, and, say, and they say to the king, all right, we want you to enter into alliance with us. And the king says, no. I'd rather be in alliance with Assyria, which God didn't want him to be in alliance with any nation. But he said, I'd rather be in alliance with him. So Syria and Israel, sensing weakness, sensing vulnerability, want to attack and try to attack the king of Judah. Chapter 7, verse 1, and they don't, they're not successful. So now the king catches the news that they are indeed going to return and they are going to dethrone him. They are going to wipe him out. 
And it says in chapter 7, verse 2 there, that when he hears the news, his heart shakes like the trees that are blowing in the wind. And the heart of his people, the hearts of those that he's responsible for, when he begins to understand what is going to take place, he becomes incredibly afraid. Now, here's what you need to know about Ahaz. He not only becomes terrified, he not only becomes so fearful that his heart begins to shake and he begins to do something that we all do when we get bad news, we begin to, to reason and we begin to work and we begin to try and figure a way out. Not only is he trying to figure out a way where he can make an alliance with Assyria, how he can avoid being taken over by Israel and Syria, but he's also a very wicked king. He is both, he, he, he is both wicked and he is both scared. He, he, as we'll see next week, is so distant from God and the things that he does. I mean, here's the king that's supposed to be the moral, spiritual, political leader, and he is so distant from God, it's not even funny, but he not only is distant from God, he is desperate now. And here's the question for the king. When Isaiah comes to him, and we saw a couple of weeks ago where God could have left him there, but in his mercy, God comes to him and says, hey, king, you are from the line of David. This is David's throne and David's line, and I care to bring you through this, and I care to bring the people through this, and I care to bring the line through this, and in my grace and mercy to you, just regardless of how you've treated me, I'm coming to you to deliver you. An amazing act of grace on the part of God. But then he says, I'm wiser than you are too, king. And I want you to trust me. Because you're afraid and you're desperate and you're terrified, I want you to trust me for what's ahead. And here's the question for King Ahaz as we come to chapter 7, verses 3 through 9 this morning. Why should he trust God? Why should he abandon his own Ability to try and figure a way out. The ESV Study Bible has a great question. And it's this. The question forced upon Judah by this threat was one of trust. In what will God's people trust for salvation? Will God's people trust in human strategies of self-rescue or will we trust in prophetic promises of divine grace? Did you get that? Here's the question for every single one of us, because at some point in our lives, we are going to be in that continuum where King Ahaz is. Either we're going to be incredibly distant from God, and he's going to come to us, or we're going to be incredibly desperate for someone to help us. And we don't have a way out. We're, we're there. Some of you are there now. Some of you have been there, and if you haven't been there, we will be there. Where we are desperate for, for some sort of movement, for, for someone to act on our behalf. We're going to face a time in our lives where the question is going to come to us, are you going to trust in your own strategy to work your way out of this, or are you going to trust in God's grace? Are you going to depend upon him? Let, let, let me give you an example. I'm going to try and come right, right into your hearts here, all right? Um, this morning, I, I'm getting ready, and I noticed on our, um, on our webpage that there's a prayer wall 
Do you realize that you can go online right now and you can go and, and you can look at our prayer wall and you can look at the requests that are coming in and you can actually pray for those individuals and you can click the button and you can say, I prayed for this. It's a powerful tool. And as I was reading this this morning, I was saying, okay, Lord, um, help me because we have three services. We have three rooms and two hours and we have generations. And, and, and I'm thinking, Lord, how, how do I get this to the people's hearts? Because there's so many needs there and there's so many opportunities for people who need to trust you, who find themselves in a situation where they are fearful or they're uncertain or they don't know which way to go or, or their reputation is at stake or their marriage is in shambles or they are sick and there are no answers. Like our dear brother Ron, Ron Phelps, used to sit. He sits right over here. Walked into his room today uh, on Friday. Ron, he's got, he's got cancer. 28 days in one room. Ron, what, what, what's the prognosis? Where, where, where's the certainty ahead? We don't know. We're waiting for those white blood cell counts to come up so I can go home and get some treatment. We don't know, though. We're uncertain. We just have to sit there and we just have to pray, Lord, please, please, please heal Ron, but please give him clarity. And Ron, if you're listening right now, we're praying for you, brother. Um, where, where's the situation where you need to trust with your finances or with your job or with your children? with your grandchildren, with your mom, with your dad, with your parents? Where is it right now where you are trying to figure out your own way? A, a strategy where you go, I got this. And God comes to you this morning and says, will you trust me? And you look at God, for some of you, and in despondency, some say, why? And in sheer rebellion, some of you say, why should I trust you? Let me give you an example here. I read this this morning. We are praising God as we see him work through this opportunity, but please pray for my husband, the job changes and the stress and the anxiety. Will you agree with us in prayer for him to have peace and God will help him gain favor in the process? December 10, Terry said, my father was just diagnosed with leukemia. December 8, Cheryl says, pray for the Lord's intervention and protection upon the home and lives of my daughter-in-law and grandsons during this time of deployment of my son. You keep scrolling down. A coworker, Stephen, says a coworker's dad passed out yesterday and is in a diabetic coma. That was on December 3. November 23, Mandy says we have a dear friend whose wife Carrie is seriously ill. She's been diagnosed with, with, with GBS, a rare disease that causes your immune system to attack your nerve cells. Brian Harley, who sits right here in the first service, his father had multiple bypass surgery, but he just got back from the Mayo Clinic where they told him, you have five months if we don't do any sort of treatment for your cancer. You have one year if we do. He sits in my office on Friday or on Thursday, I forget which day it was, and I say, brother, I don't know what to tell you other than I'll pray. When times like this come in your life, whether they're medical or whether they're financial or whether they're relational or whether your marriage, marriage is Christmas time, is a strain and a stress on marriage. You know what happens as soon as Christmas is over? We see families just kind of finally hit that point where they break apart. Here's what your pastor is trying to do. is trying to connect with your heart and say there are times when you need to trust and you have been working and wringing your hands and thinking and reasoning how do I save myself in this and there is no human salvation for the problem that you're in unless you trust in the grace of God. 
This is a powerful word from Isaiah because he's going to tell you why you should trust. Charles Spurgeon said that one word from God is worth one ton of human reasoning. Isn't that good? One word from God is worth one ton of human reasoning. So here comes the word of God this morning. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3. And what will you trust and why should you trust God? Look at verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Isaiah, okay, the king is wringing his hands. He's trying to figure this out. He's trying to make these alliances. Go to him, meet him, you and Sheer Jashub. I promise you, Sheer Jashub was not on the top five list for Harrison's name. It just didn't make it there, all right? Sheer Jashub, your son. And he's at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field and say to him, King, be careful, be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, king. I know, I know what they're doing. And here's what they're saying. Let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves. And then we're going to set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. So thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass for the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken to pieces so that it will no longer be a people. That's Israel. In 65 years, Israel will look totally different then as it does today. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. And if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. If you do not trust and believe and obey, you will be, continue to be unstable if you don't trust at this point. Now, we'll see next week how how God helps the king. But for this week, let me give you three things. Why you can trust God when he says to you, trust me. Number one, God's timing is based on his sovereign calendar, not on your sense of urgency. God's timing is, How he works things out is based on his sovereign calendar, not on your sense of urgency. The king was incredibly urgent. Verse 1, they had already attacked, and they were unsuccessful. They're going to come again. Verse 3, he's out there. He is checking his water supply. He's checking his water supply to see that when the invasion comes, to see whether or not his people will be provided and protected. He's checking to see if everything, if they can survive the onslaught. He's incredibly urgent. Verse 6. He gets word, the CIA comes in, and God, reaff- God affirms the CIA comes in and says, you know what, here's the deal. Uh, not, only are we gonna, not only are we gonna come in and, and ransack the place, but we already have the guy that we are gonna set up as king. We already know who he is. And because of that, when the king hears all of this, his heart shakes and he begins to wring his hands and he goes to work to try and figure this thing out. He begins to reason a way for self-salvation of his problem. God says, no, no, I'm going to send you a son, but 
I'm already here as well. Let me give you a, a mark of, my, of, of me being here, and that is my sovereignty, my timing. I hear you. I know where you are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out for you, but don't give in to your sense of urgency. It's like some of you, I mentioned in the first services, some of you, when, uh, when you get sick, you immediately do what? You begin to figure this thing out. You begin to reason this thing out, and you go to the Internet. <laughs> you ever do that? Got something wrong, got a little ache, got a little pain, got a little something, and, and man, you're on the internet for about one hour, and at the end of the hour, you're in tears because you should have been dead eight years ago, right? <laughs> if all that was true. You know, politics today, you know what we're doing? We are frantically and urgently seeking a savior to save us. And friends, it's not Donald Trump, and it's not Hillary Clinton, it's not any of those guys and gals, but we are friends. You, you notice the pace and the frenzy of politics nowadays? Because we're frantically searching for someone to save us. We're trying to reason our way and work our way through this. Who, who's going to be effective in, 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 in saving the economy? Who's going to Look, look, all that, is, all that is, is necessary. We need to vote. We need to do all those things. But there's no human being that's going to save America. There's only one human being who can save America, and that's Jesus Christ. And so when God comes to the king and says, keep calm, king. Quit your reasoning, okay? I know you're, I know you're frantic. I know you're stressed. I know you're wringing your hands. I know you're, you're working the back channels. I know you're networking. I know you're putting it all together. Stop. Trust me. Abandon yourselves to me. Don't, don't, quit, quit, quit making an alliance with these other kings. You know I told you you can't do that. Our sense of urgency causes us to, to move and causes us to act and causes us to, to jump out instead of trusting God. Tim Keller says this, anxiety is a daily fax to God. I don't know when he wrote this. Anxiety is a daily fact. It's a daily Instagram. It's a daily tweet. It's a daily Facebook posting. It's a daily reminder to God. Anxiety says to God, your timing is off. You don't have my best interest in mind. That's what anxiety says. So the king gets a word that God's timing is based on God's calendar, not his sense of urgency. But here's the second thing. God's power is greater than anyone and anything. But this is easily ignored or forgotten. I'd add the words or forgotten there. Oh, we talk about the power of God. We talk about how great God is. We sing about how great God is. We, in our quiet time that morning, we talk about, we, we read about the greatness and the power of God. But for some reason, the minute we walk out the door, for some reason, we forget that our problems are suddenly more powerful than Almighty God. And so when the king listens to Isaiah, Isaiah communicates to him something from God, and God says it. It's there in verse 4. Look at it. He says to him, be careful and be quiet. Don't fear. Don't let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at their fierce anger. It's almost as if you have this picture. When I first read it, you have this picture of a, of a campfire. And the campfire, when the fire is hot and it's roaring and it's blazing there, there's this fear of that. You don't want to touch that. You don't want to get near that campfire. But when you wake up the next morning, what happens? When you wake up the next morning and that campfire is out, you can go into that fire and you can take a stick and you can stir those logs around. You can stir that wood around and those ashes are white and they're gray and they just kind of disintegrate and they just kind of poof out. And God says, listen, king, you are operating, you are living your life, you are trying to save and rescue yourself and work your way out of your problem 
according to the, the power that you see when that fire is raging. How I want you to live is in light of, the pow- of my power, which sees that fire as nothing but ashes. And we always get turned around because we can sing and pray and, and we have our quiet times and we can journal and we talk about the power of God, but how often do we not live in the power of God? It's easily forgotten. It's easily ignored. I, th- I, I think that the, some of the most, one of the most godliest things that you can do, you ready? Is to go outside and take a walk sometimes. You realize that? One of the godliest things you can do. My, my job when I wake up in the morning, I'm the first up. I try and, and, and have my, my personal time, my, my uh, time with the Lord, and I try and study or whatever it is, and I'm the first up. And, and so therefore, since I'm first up, I get to walk the dog. <laughs> and, and so I walk out the door, and here's what's been happening over the last few weeks as I walk the dog. Isaiah chapter 51. I love this passage. God says, I want to comfort you people. I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Why do you fear man? Of the son of man who is made like grass. And you have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens, who laid the foundations of the earth, but yet you fear continually all the day. I am the Lord, verse 15. I am the Lord, your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 14, I have established the heavens and I have laid the foundations of the earth. And I have said to Zion, you are my people. So as I'm walking out the door, Right? I walk out of the dark, out of the quietness, out of my mind and out of my heart and out of my soul. And I walk out, and what do I see? I see this beautiful expanse. And I see this, the heavens stretched, and I see the skies, and I see the sun. And the sun, as I'm walking, is right in an angle. And I know right when I get to a certain point, that sun is going to burst through in between the houses. I know right where that sun comes. And I am suddenly reminded that the sun has been up for a long, long time. And there are things on the other side of the earth that almighty, all-powerful God is doing and taking care of. So why should I, up in my study, be wringing my hands, be filled with worry, be filled with doubt, when the great God of the universe, who has stretched out the heavens, who has made the sea, who operates everything, is he not powerful enough to take care of me. So sometimes the most godliest thing you can do is take a walk and pray and observe the greatness of God. But we forget. This morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know if it's cancer. I don't know if it's death. I don't know if it's marriage. I don't know if it's relationships. But your God is more powerful than anything that you face this morning. But will you trust him? Will you trust him? Here's the third and final thing this morning. God's vision is far-reaching and it's perfect, but our vision is short-sighted and defective. God's vision is far-reaching and perfect, but ours is short-sighted and defective. We see this in several ways in the text. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3, OSJ, his son, his name means a remnant shall return. I don't know if when Isaiah comes to the king and says, king, God has sent me, well, Isaiah, why are you here? Is this your son? Yeah, this is my son. 
You know what his name means, king? His name means that regardless of the disaster, God sees beyond, regardless of what you see, God sees perfectly beyond, and there will be a remnant who will remain. God will not forsake his people. Here's my son. He says to him later on in that passage that we read in verses 7 through 9, he says, listen, in 65 years, the nation of Israel, my people, your, bro- your former brothers, that land is, lo- is going to look entirely different, and it is. In 65 years, the people are going to be wiped out. There's going to be a new set of people groups coming in. The land looks totally different than it does. God sees down the road. God sees, as we'll see next week, that when this son who is born, by the time he reaches the age of where he's able to reason and think right and wrong, maybe 10, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there, in 10, 11, 12, 13 years, guess what? The threat of Israel and Syria, king, is gone. And here's where we struggle. We, our vision that we see in front of us, the, the needs and the, and the hurts and the desires and the struggle and the challenge. What we see in front of us, we are so short-sighted. We are so in tune with what is happening now, but God sees perfectly and beyond. That's why you can trust him. He knows what is best for you. He knows what is best for me. He knows what is good. He knows what will bring about his glory. This is what it's all about, trusting God, abandoning God for the glory of God and for our good. But we don't trust him. So I've tried to lay out this morning three reasons why you can trust him, even before we get to the son. And it is the son, Jesus, who was born later to Joseph, who gives us access to this great God. And so this morning, here is what I would say to you as we closed. For those of you who don't know this son, either in this room or in the other room, you don't know the son. What, what I've just given you in the goodness of God is the gospel. God has come to you in his great mercy and in his great wisdom at the perfect time with great power and with great wisdom and with great understanding of what's ahead. And he gives to you his gospel, the, the good news that Christ has died and Christ has been resurrected again, that this little baby born to Joseph and Mary 700 years, in fact, does say God is with us, but God is here today and he wants you to respond to him. And when it comes to your human self strategy of trying to work your way out of your problem. Some of you have never trusted Christ and you're on a path, you're on a, on a road that is going to lead you to destruction. You're on a road like Ahaz that is going to lead you further and further in distance away from God. And this morning God has, has placed you here to hear this good news that God loves you. You need to return and come to him and repent of your sins and follow Christ. For others of you, if you're like me, a follower of Christ, here's the word this morning. Will you believe and will you trust? Remember the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, to be content, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled. There's no other way to find true north in life. There is no other way in Christ than to trust and obey. And my challenge to you, no matter where you are, no matter what you face this morning, is to trust him. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. 
For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning or in repentance and rest you shall be saved and in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So what do you do? Simply say this, no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, you get on your hands and you get on your knees and you get on your face before God and you say, God, Here's the choice before me. My strategy, my reasoning, my effort, or your way. Reveal it to me. And I'll trust and obey. You get with your wife. You get on your hands and your knees and your face before God and you say, God, here's our way. Here's our strategy. But will you reveal your grace? You get with a partner, prayer partner. You get with someone that you trust. You get with someone that you love. Will you pray with me? Here's my way. Here's my strategy. Here's my salvation. Here is my reasoning. Will you reveal your way? And you trust and obey. So this morning, here's what I want to leave you with, okay? Be encouraged. Be encouraged by the word of God this morning. No matter where you are, God is here. God, even before the promise of the Son, God said, I'm here. I'm here. My power and my timing and what I see, will you trust? Let's pray together right now. Father, I simply ask that in the few minutes we have left that you will overwhelm hearts that you will overwhelm souls with your love and with your grace and with your direction and with a softening of hearts that says we will trust that there's almost a sense father that across this room and in the in the in the fellowship hall there's almost a sense that our our hands release and our hands open and our hands take the take our hands off the off the steering wheel and quit gripping so hard and we just say we trust god it's hard father it's hard will you do it and would you bring peace as you said to the king, do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. Be quiet. I'm here. Oh, Father, please do it in us. And Father, if there's anyone here, and I know there is, who's not trusted Christ fully, not by any persuasive words, not by any, not by any argument, but simply by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel, would you bring people to yourself? And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.